Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. Dum Dum gets drunk. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 74, which begins with Rogers talking about Hydra moving parts to an unknown facility and ends with Dum Dum saying he'll fight with Steve if he opens a tab for them. Back on the show, it's Jonathan and Tabitha Carlisle. Hello again. Hey. Hey. But you know that we're in. We're in for the rest of the day. <laughs> okay, good. Well, we've opened the tab. So. I was just going to thank you for bad. opening the tab. <laughs> if it, it, oh, it, unlike paying. most minutes, like it really could legitimately have ended with open up and we would never know. We would never know. <laughs> Uh, well, we're starting this minute back in the uh, the base. This is where um, we just have this little bit, and Steve is saying that, um, I don't know, I'm curious about this. Basically, Bucky said that they had moved all of their parts to another facility that isn't on the map. And my first question is... When would like is this a conversation that that Bucky had heard when he was on the operating table in Zola's experiment room about like hey let's move all this stuff to a different facility uh, like I mean it could not have been in those last seven minutes when they were going to blow up the facility right I mean it seems like a weird thing for Bucky to have latched onto D- does that line seem like weird at all like to anybody like we just need to somehow hint that there's another facility out there and we just don't know where it is. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> I have no response to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I do. It's. It has never struck me either as weird at all because, like, there are so many facilities at this point. Like the he's saying the line over a map with a lot of facilities on it already. Well, and yeah, and I guess that's the thing is it, it's. It just strikes me weird that that of all the people this is coming from, it's Bucky that had heard them about moving parts to another facility. And I'm just like, when did Bucky hear this? Like, how is this something that Bucky heard is, I mean, is Zola just kind of sloppily having these sorts of meetings with a prisoner strapped on the table where, you know, <laughs> if he gets away, he can report it. Like, it's just, it just strikes me as weird that they, yeah. And again, this is what happens when you do these movies by minutes is you spend way too much time looking at these little lines. I'm like, wait a minute. Right. What is, how did Bucky know this? Zola never heard <laughs> loose lips sink ships, Andy. That wasn't there yet. <laughs> like, this is how that was defined. You'll learn about it in Boots on the Ground, the untold story of Hydra's Loss in Switzerland. <laughs> the joke that just won't die. Oh, I'm so glad it won't die. It's so fun. Cut off, cut off one joke. <laughs> <laughs> But that's very possible that Zola was just having conversations while Bucky was out. And Bucky could have been like absorbing some of that subconsciously or sometimes when he was awake and Zola just wasn't aware. I mean, he could have been sending stuff out Morse code or something and Bucky was, you know, understanding (laughs) what he was sending out. So when he came back, he's like, he went, dit, 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 da, 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 dit, da, da, right. da. He's just like reciting it so they could translate it. I know. It. That would have been weird. even better if Cap would have told German him that. Song. This is what Bucky said. Da, 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 I, yeah, I also was like, what are, I don't know, what were they moving? Because, I mean, this was a facility that they had been in, and Schmidt so 
readily just blew it all up because he saw Captain America in the room. He's just like, our troops are outnumbered. Let's just blow it all up. It, all of this, I don't know. I end up running into these things that really stick with me. It's like, when were they moving stuff to another facility? Like, it, this facility was full of stuff. There's no way. I mean, we actually saw it blowing up. So it didn't all get moved to other facilities. Uh, or maybe they were just talking about moving the parts that were finished. Like, we're building these parts and shipping them to another facility. I guess that would make more sense, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what you do in the in the like all the machines and the catwalks and everything. They just build it and move it, build and move. All right. Also, you need to stop watching movies one minute at a time. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I do now. Every movie I watch, I'm like, I'm going to watch this minute, but I'm going to watch it 50 times. (laughs) I'll come back tomorrow and watch the next minute. Uh, yeah, and then uh, presumably, I mean, you know, we're going to be uh, all of these parts of things that are going over to the Valkyrie. That's you know essentially what we're um, you know getting. There is this other facility. It's not on the map. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. Let's telegraph this because there's something that's going to come into play. I feel like we're getting definitely set up with that. Uh, and we have Natalie Dormer here that she pops in as. Uh, Colonel Phillips' uh, little assistant here. Um, any fans of uh, Natalie Dormer and uh, stuff that she's done? I mean, she's she looks familiar, but I don't know what else she's in. <gasps> if you're if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, oh, uh, we haven't watched, oh, yeah, we haven't watched that. <laughs> okay, okay, that's uh, largely. We're not going to do the IMDb game for her uh, this week because she doesn't say anything. We're going to save that actually for next time. Is Game of Thrones uh, on? Did I win? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. <laughs> it just might be, but I'm not going to say. Uh, this is Private Lorraine. She really just comes in to uh, to deliver <laughs> with a look. I tell you, the look that she gives to Colonel Phillips. I, I mean, she's a private. I don't know. How does this read? Like, does it make sense for a private to kind of give him the paper with that sort of look and not say even like, you know, sir or anything like she just. I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm meant to read her throughout this film. <laughs> she, I don't know. I love it. She seems kind of like a sloppy soldier. I I don't know. <laughs> oh, you, oh she's you, a sloppy soldier. Even if you would call her <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, like, well, I mean, you guys will talk about her in future minutes. I don't like her, but mostly because of just her eyeing up Cap all the time. And if I was Peggy... Peggy would probably already punch her by now. Like, I don't, not, not, you know, yeah, maybe. I don't know that I should be promoting physical assault, but Peggy should I mean, totally she, she was see pretty the quick eyeing to, up right there. She was pretty quick to punch Hodge, so. That's and, true. Right. right. That's true. Yes, I, I, I think you're right, Andy. This look is a little much. Uh, just the the 10 second look where, like, I, I don't know what she's trying to to communicate like i don't know what she's what is she trying to say like she's she's definitely acting something she's definitely opinionated right here but i it feels out of place it's like she's in the wrong scene it's a look that says here are the papers you told me to get for you that you just told me to get for you 10 yeah. minutes ago and then you stupidly <laughs> sat down on another desk yeah right like yeah, it's yeah. that sort of it's that's that exactly sort of what it is <laughs> Colonel dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that you say that because the next thing that I wanted to say is you know he talks about lighting a fire under under Schmidt's ass. Does this do you get any sense that Schmidt might have Germany's ass? Is that is that something? <laughs> 
I just, I, I just had to go there. This is the this is like that kind of humor where you just said that thing, and then we'll see you in nine years where you remind us of the setup uh, right, right, right. to that joke, yeah. and we'll yeah. we'll come back. I know we'll we've got back. we've got a time to wait. Episode seventy four. That's what, that's what we didn't see Captain on the America. catwalk when Red Skull wounded yeah. them, and Bucky was like, "Do you have one of those?" <laughs> is his ass red? This this is like we were talking about this. Like, is his just his head red, or his entire body red? We only ever oh, see his goodness. head. Everything else is clothed. I didn't even think about like, his whole body being red. Like, if people had known, would they just have called him Red Man or Red Body? <laughs> But he only shows his head, so they just call. We'll just call him Red Skull. It's just the first thing that they see about him, and that's why it's Red Skull. What if they had accidentally seen him like pulling up his pants? He'd be Red Butt all his life, and he would never have made it to the head of Hydra. So he's definitely not Germany's ass. <laughs> Woo! The places you end up going. This, is, this, this has been show. a great minute, everybody. Nine minutes, and we're out. That's right. All right. So we have this conversation between Phillips and Steve about building a team. This is this moment where, uh, you know, Agent Carter asks Colonel Phillips, what about us? Note, she says, what about us? And uh, Phillips says, you know, we're going to um, build a team for you. And Steve says, um, you know, I'm already putting together my own team. Okay, two things here. First, let's talk about Peggy. Peggy says, what about us? And then we're not going to ever see her actually doing any battling. How does, does it play like, uh, I mean, how does that play as far as like Peggy's position, as far as like her part of the team? You mean like, does is she, like she is now kind of a lapdog? Yeah, well, what, what I, I guess is she, I mean, what about us? It feels like, you know, team SSR, we're going to go in and do our part and we're going to be fighting. Is she thinking that she'll be in the field? Is she like as an SSR agent, or you know, an agent with the with the British intelligence who's actually working with the SSR, uh, like what should she be? What are we expecting her to be doing? What should she be expecting to be doing as a part of like being part of this team? I guess I'm just not sure if just standing there collecting flags is essentially what Peggy's role is. Like, is that best suited for her as an agent? Well, this is the transition, though. This is the transition of her as, like, trainer and advocate to guy in the chair, right? Like, she's... But is she? Kind of. Are you That's telling me the, the guy in the chair? Person. That's the flag person. <laughs> That's what she's doing, right? She didn't have a chair or a computer, so she collects flags for Cap. Tells him where to go next. Isn't that what the guy in the chair does? I don't feel like there is a camaraderie like she's part of the team if she's just there to collect flags. Now, I don't no, know. It's not just collecting flags. It's just a, a is a, a she's symbolic... not saying anything. She's not in a chair. She's not because it's not montage. Commun- it's music she's not, going. I, That's we're what's so, coming. We're, we're so ahead of our Ugh. point uh, that we're talking about here, yeah. but. I'm just saying, she says, what about us? Like, hey, let's, we're all going to go do this together. And I'm just saying, it feels like what we should be expecting in the coming minutes is Steve and Agent Carter and the Howling Commandos and, you know, everybody kind of working together to do stuff. And I just feel like she is now left out. Peggy Carter may be getting left out. I don't know. Do, you know, Jonathan, Tabitha, how, do you read anything with that? Or am I going way too far down this track of thinking? I guess we just don't know really what her 
position is or what the relationship is. Because when we first see her, she's in America where they're doing the train. I assume that that's all happening in America. Um, all the, yeah. the training yeah. stuff at the very beginning. Um, so I would assume like, you know, while she's in America that, you know, there, it's either just her or maybe a few British people, but then now they're in England. So now they're meeting up. But may, is it still just her as far as the representative from from non-America? Or does she have a group of people or or yeah, I don't know. It is so ill-defined. Like, who is making up the SSR? All we really knew is that it was it was um, Stanley Tucci's project that he was running, and she was the MI6, kind of the British, the Allies representative, and Colonel Phillips was kind of the American representative. It seemed to be those three people kind of heading it up. We saw scientists all over the place and military people kind of helping. So it seemed like there was this large thing. Howard Stark is kind of their uh, civilian uh, who's helping with the tech and everything. And so now I guess we don't really know who the head of SSR is anymore. And so maybe she's just she is the head of SSR and she's just speaking to that capacity. Like, how are we? How? How? What about us? How will we now help serve? And so maybe that's kind of what she's saying there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because. Now that they're in London, they're kind of like you're in our house now. So what you know, what are we doing? Yeah, but so so is Colonel is the Colonel like they're all in London. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just get the feeling that they're that that she and Steve are in her view the dynamic duo of SSR, and us is representative of like how are we SSR going to serve this particular mission? It damn well better be different than going out on a publicity tour. Well, I mean, what mm-hmm. he specifically says to her is, Agent Carter, coordinate with MI6. I want every allied eyeball looking for that main Hydra base. Um, and then she says, what about us? So, I mean, wouldn't that be included? Like, yes, that means you too. You're <laughs> also going to be looking <laughs> that for that. That is a weird order. That should have been the other way around. I just told you what to do. And <laughs> so, it's, just, it's just that minute, though. Like, the, should, you know. should you be here at all if you can't listen to and follow directions? Maybe the, that's well, why Lorraine has yeah, the annoyed look. Like, I'm giving you the paper that you already had. She's giving. She's asking the question that you already answered. <laughs> we need to get out of this bunker. Yeah, that's right. This, this bunker of confusion. It's like a small gas leak, and they're all just going loopy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. So, all right. Now, what about this thing with Steve deciding uh, two things about Steve? He's deciding he needs a team before he's just like, I can do this all by myself. I'm going to run in solo and save all these people. Now he's like, oh, I need a team. I I have to have a team do this. And then there's the whole perspective of, hey, I'm putting my own team together. I know you're putting together the best men, but I really am going to be able to put it together better than you. Um, again, we know Steve's opinion and his, the way that he treats military and, and, uh, you know, uh, who's in command. Uh, but how does this play? Does, does all of this seem, uh, like, does it seem like this is what they're trying to give us as far as like, this is who Steve is. He's this guy who just decides things for himself or, or what, like, how does it play for you? Well, there's a missing scene, right? The scene that's missing could go one of two ways. It's either, you know, the colonel says, no, you know, all due respect is uh, is very kind of you to say, but I'm also a colonel and you are a captain. You can call me Colonel America and I get to decide who the team is. <laughs> uh, but what it sounds like actually happened is uh, with all due respect, uh, I'm already, you know, I've, I've already putting my team together. And the colonel says, 
I actually don't give a crap. Go ahead and put your team together. And that allows us to cut to because it just seems like something that he really doesn't care about. If he had a strong opinion in the movie, I think they would have shown it to us. So I don't give that much thought. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's just I guess it's the whole old versus new. You know, he's he's the the super soldier that they were trying to create. Uh, you know, he because he can do things differently or better or whatever. You know, nobody nobody understands what to expect out of him, and so it's just the you know we're just changing the paradigm. You know, like I'm going to create a team because it's going to be different than what you're used to creating, and that's not getting the job done. Well, part of me thinks that if Colonel Phillips did create a team, that Gilmore Hodge would probably be on it. Because, you know, he says, we're putting together the best men. And we saw, he kind of thought that Gilmore Hodge was one of the best men back in the boot camp. Like, he's like, he's the perfect representation of what we want. But but look, I mean, look at what's interesting about this, is that this just happens after our, you know, uh, John Hughes ending, right? Like, we just had Colonel Phillips learning a valuable lesson of the role of Steve Rogers in this man's army. And now we have a sequence where it kind of doesn't matter what Steve says to demonstrate that the colonel has learned a valuable lesson. He's just going to say yes to everything now because change has to happen and change has to happen (laughs) to propel Steve into a position of superherodom by the end of the movie. Right. We have to have him earn a place on the Valkyrie. And the only way he's going to do that is if and I say this only metaphorically now is if the colonel drives the car and gets him there. And so this is an example of of the colonel just kind of moving things forward for us. Like he is he's a utility instrument in at, at this point to make Steve a hero. And we need yeah. Steve to be a hero in a hurry. Maybe that's why I, I struggle with it, because it feels like we're getting to these beats that feel more and more written throughout the film. Like it just like. I mean, Colonel Phillips, you know, he says, we're already putting together the best men. Like, they've already been working on this. And Steve, always disrespectful of of military hierarchy, is just like, yeah, yeah, so am I. You know, just like, and and Phillips is just like, he doesn't say it like that, Andy. He says it very nicely. And you are definitely, you are mocking. He does say it very nicely because it's Steve. What would your kids say if you mocked them that way? That's essentially what he is. That's essentially what he's saying when he says, with all due respect, sir, so am I, which is essentially him saying, yeah, I don't care that you're already putting together the best men. I'm Captain America and I get to do what I want. And no, I he's feel not saying that. That is not what I hear at all. <laughs> if, oh, but OK, so if, if Colonel Phillips did come back and say, well, nice, but I, I you're going to be using my men. Are you saying that Steve would say, uh, all right, then never mind. I think he probably would, but they didn't give us that movie. I think Steve is a respectful soldier. You do. He never follows orders ever, <laughs> but he does it kindly. <laughs> it it would be funny to see it, it just the scene just naturally progress and be like, oh, okay, who's yeah. on your team? And he's like, oh, well, they don't know it yet. You know, like, well, yeah, wait, exactly. I thought you were That's you right. were putting together your teams. Like, well, right. I was thinking well, in about my it. head. Yeah. <laughs> in my super strategic head. And Colonel Phillips is like, here's the people I've already been recruiting. They're sitting right here in the room. And Steve's like, yeah, yeah, but mine are they're right here. They're up in my noggin. Don't worry. I got them. One of them's called Dum Dum. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love him. 
I just was imagining like if they're sitting there in the room and then they like pan by again, like we're going with a different team and like Hodge just has like this little tear coming down his <laughs> eyes, just like getting passed over like again. <laughs> standing, standing behind an empty barber chair, his scissors and comb in hand. Oh. <laughs> uh. They really missed out on those opportunities I'm with dead. Gilmore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. For sure. Uh, well, anyway, what we do get is a cut after Steve. This is, a, I mean, it's a great, this is a very much, you know, very smart filmmaking sort of style storytelling. Uh, Joe Johnston proves that he knows how to do this. We cut from Steve's line to the team. And it is, of course, the Howling Commandos. And uh, here we sit with them. Uh, first question for the two of you. What do you think of the Howling Commandos? Uh, I don't know if either of you had read any of the Howling Commandos comics, but do you like the way that they play in the film here? I have not read the comics, but I do like how they play in the film. I mean, they just seem like a very skilled ragtag bunch, you know, that's just, well, obviously they're up for anything. They're like, well, that sounds kind of fun, actually. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and uh, I like them. I think they're all really likable. I feel like I feel like I don't really know them that well, though. Like I, I recognize like Dum Dum Dugan has the look. I recognize I, I really didn't read a lot of the comics involving these guys, but I've being involved in the comics. You always see little bits of other characters and stuff like that. So I recognize them, but I don't know that through this movie. I really you know, I, I, I'm not first in line for the uh, Howling Commandos miniseries or something like that. You know, I mean, sure, I'd watch it, but I, I don't know. Be like, wow, I really want to see what else they were doing. I would watch it. I'd want to know what else they were doing. But would you be first in line? Mm, maybe second. <laughs> okay. Like I wouldn't be cam- I wouldn't be camped out overnight like Black Friday or yeah. anything, but I would want to see it for sure. <laughs> would you Black Friday the Howling Commandos? That's amazing. How would the Howling Commandos stand up to a team on a Thanksgiving? Oh. Uh, I, now, I, like, I mean, as far as like the tone of Marvel series, like that, that yeah. would be totally fun. I would absolutely go for that. Yeah, original eighteen. Nothing. See, now that's a theme right there. Yeah, Yeah, it's very true. That's a theme. We actually just totally spinning off that. We just last night we went through a whole YouTube thing of of watching like guess the eighties TV theme songs, guess the seventies TV theme songs, and and yeah, it's it's amazing to see how like what eras theme songs were the thing, and then Mm -hmm. and then yeah, we just talked about Marvel stuff where it's like oh, I don't I don't know what that is, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. It could be five different movies. I don't, it might not, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I really want to sing a theme song and quiz you right now, but I'm not going to do that. I just want you to know I'm showing enormous restraint right now by saying, I think that's a really interesting point about the Howling Commandos and their representation in this movie, that those who read the comics understand what the Howling Commandos represent. And if you haven't ever, like, really followed where the Howling Commandos are, then you know, you you don't even know that they're Howling Commandos. Like, mm-hmm. they never call them the Howling Commandos. They just yeah. really, you see Dum Dum with the mustache, and maybe that's kind of an iconic and look. the bowler that might, hat. Yeah. And the bowler hat. But if you, like, it really is just, like, it's effectively a cameo because it's never really told. Even, obviously, they have a, a, a much stronger role in the film, but you're never told that they're supposed to mean something more than just Cap's team. It's true, because when I was researching them, I was, you know, I was like, oh, you know, James Montgomery Fowlsworth, 
he's Union Jack. Well, who is Union Jack? Like, I didn't know those things because I didn't read the comics. And so I'm less like, well, that seems interesting. I'd like to know more. Maybe I would camp out in line to know more if these guys went on to do these things. (laughs) Well, that's like, uh, I know Marvel versus DC, but the Wonder Woman movie, you know, people say that there's a lot of parallels between that and Captain America, uh, the movies, I mean. Yeah. Um, But I think, Wonder Woman actually did a better job of introducing the team and like getting to know some of their characteristics and, you know, rooting for the team. Like I, I might root for the Howling Commandos of this movie, but I can't, I don't know that I could root for any one of them specifically to like do their thing. Cause I don't know what they do or mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not given like their own little journey for each character, like whatever, whatever it is. Like they basically, they have a unique look and to that end i think largely they were brought in to be kind of the the sidekick surrogates for steve as he was fighting just so we could have people we could identify so it's not just you know six people in military fatigues but it actually is people who we can go okay the guy with the bowler hat and the you know the the guy in the beret and uh and then it's also like this all american like very melting pot sort of group and so i feel like they just said this will be a great opportunity to kind of bring these characters in to just kind of create a group that Captain American can come around, can run around with that, you know, they have a feel to them. So it's just not, you know, a bunch of red shirts. And I feel like that's largely what they did here. And they didn't end up giving us anything specific, which is a little bit of a, a little bit of a bummer, but it is what it is. Before we get into kind of the scene itself, uh, this pub in the film is called The Whip and Fiddle, and it was filmed in a place called Crocker's Folly, which is still there. You can go swing by Crocker's Folly in uh, in London. And uh, yeah, so we're coming in post-pitch, and Dum Dum, you know, the funny thing about Dum Dum, when I look at him, I feel like like he reminds me of the man who runs the spa in Frozen. Like, that's where I go to <laughs> the dum-dum in this particular scene. He just feels like that. Uh, and we're getting some pub songs um, playing in the background. Um, this first song, I can't actually find what it is that they're what that's playing. There is a song credited, interestingly, composed by Joe Johnston himself, along with Joe E. Rand, called Rose of Mayfair. I can't actually find a recording of it anywhere, but I'm guessing that that's what what we have here. And then we are going to be getting to another pub song tomorrow and another one next week. We'll talk about those when we do. Uh, Just kind of setting the scene for this conversation between Steve and the Howling Commandos. Yeah, I mean, you know, it feels like it feels like the you know, let's build a team scene. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. enthusiastic, but they feign a little bit of like, oh my gosh, it was so hard and we almost died. But yeah, we'll go back. Like, let's move it along quickly and get cap a team. That's exactly what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dernier is got some sass. Like he's a He does. Do you wanna do you wanna go walk through what uh Dernier says? So Dernier, uh so they're speaking French and he says, uh, you know, I'm gonna fight until Every one of these bastards is dead, chained up, or crying like a little baby. And uh, he said, whatever the other guy, what's the other guy's name? Dave Jones. He says, uh, I hope it's all three. And um, he says, yeah, uh, Mortsi is, you know, dead, dead if I have my way kind of a thing um, at at the end. And so um, so he's I I like that he is he wants them 
chained up and crying like a baby. If they're not dead, they better be chained up and crying like a baby. I think that's really fun. Well, then Jones is like, I hope all three. I know. These guys are very dark. (laughs) But they're they're like such they're they're smiling and laughing about it so much. I think that makes it it's actually charming. Yeah. They're really the serial killers of the group. And they're yeah. like, no, we really are going to chain them up. <laughs> I know. Wait till you see them. They'll be crying like a baby right before we kill them. It's probably just their revenge because yeah. they probably saw a lot of that when they were prisoners of war, you know, and slaves and stuff there of dead, chained and crying like a baby. Yeah. Maybe even them. Right. <laughs> so they want to do it back. <laughs> yeah. I was crying like a baby. <laughs> Uh, it, I mean, it's it is a fun little scene, and it is the scene where we see everybody like you know when Falls Road sounds rather fun. Actually, it seems like yeah, very British, kind of that you know kind of stalwart. I'm ready to fight. Sounds like a great. Sounds like a hoot, <laughs> old fellow. You know, it just it comes across that way. And then of course, Marita with his belch as as I'm in. It's fun. I mean, it definitely gives a little hint of the character for each of these guys. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to the point. It just they feel. They feel like they're a team, but they don't feel like there's a lot of individual. There is individuality, but we never really get to know any of them individually, I guess, is maybe the way to describe it. Well, like, I don't know what they do. Like, you know, right. like Donatello yeah. does machines, but what does Dum Dum Dugan do? I don't know. <laughs> Donatello <Yeah>. does machines. <laughs> That's a Captain America movie I would like to see. Captain America and the Turtles. well speaking of mixing things like uh you know they couldn't do a mutant so there's no james howlett in this in these uh howling commandos uh no no wolverine back in the day no wolverine that's right right. we can't do that yeah i mean there it's interesting those little beats we talked about that or actually we don't we that's next week i'm i'm getting i'm confusing my recordings um, there will be some interesting conversation about that as it relates to the shield for sure. And, you know, lines that get crossed because certain studios have rights to things and don't have rights to other things. About strongest metals and all that. We'll just, yeah, we'll just leave it. There's going to be words. There. <laughs> words will happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if we have anything else. We're going to finish this conversation as far as Steve. Will he or will he not open a tab for these men? We will have to find out next time. Jonathan, Tabitha, uh, remind everybody about your show and uh, and how they can find it. Uh, UHF 62nd. I told you yesterday, don't go there. But yeah, I'm telling you today to go there. Uh, see all the <laughs> stuff that's on there. Listen to all the episodes that are there. Imagine all the episodes that we recorded, but we haven't edited yet. Imagine all the episodes we haven't recorded yet. And uh, maybe imagine yourself in those episodes and tell us what you think. And, uh, and yeah, just listen to that. Again, UHF62ND.com. A little play on words there. 60 second. Love mm-hmm. it. All right. Well, thanks as always, both of you and Steve. And Steve. Where am I going? <laughs> and Pete. <laughs> Let's hear it for Captain Pete, yeah. Steve. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's All right. Bucky. <laughs> See you tomorrow, too, Buck. <laughs> Until next time, true believers.
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.